Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, good day to you. Good goddamn day to you. It's Monday, September 10th, 2018, 170 on the Anakin Florian podcast. Good Monday morning, Ken Flo. Good to be waking up and getting out of bed today. I feel like I got grazed by a bus on the way to the studio today, <laughs> but here we are. Did you have that uh, midnight flight back to Florida after, after the show or what? We hit a 5.25 a.m. out of Dallas and, uh, you know, just put it in with the kids yesterday, a little NFL, but I got my, I got my Tough Talk mug today There you go. with some tea in it, so I think that will help. I don't of course, even have I one say, of those. You got coffee, though, right? You got yes. Caveman or one of those fun coffees you got. My studio is my master bedroom, right? I shouldn't really <laughs> be complaining about anything. I will say, though, if I didn't love our listeners so, so much, and if I didn't love UFC 228 to such an extent, I would be in, in the king-size bed that is sitting <laughs> right there. I mean, it's right there today. Um, but so much to get to today, and I know we're very happy for the chosen one, Tyron Woodley, a guy that we know very well. Obviously, you've worked with him a million times. I, I went to Ferguson, Missouri, and, and spent some time with him and his family doing a shoot for in the clinch for FS1. So just happy for Tyron, and we're going to start there. We're going to talk to Ray Longo. We're going to uh, talk to Safe Saud, head coach for Fortis MMA. It was a big weekend for them, uh, but a lot of different angles on UFC 228. We could spend 10 minutes of this show talking about what Jessica Andrade did if you really want mm-hmm. to, right? There's so much to talk about. We're going to try not to shortchange anyone. Uh, so let's just start with Tyron Woodley, Kenny, and, and this monumental win. And I call it that because I think this is sort of – one that's going to look really good on the resume going forward, given what I think Darren Till is going to be able to do from here in terms of learning from this, because I think his ceiling is still very high. But 
Uh, Tyron at times has been a champion that people haven't supported for one reason or another, whether it's because of things he says or because he has fought opponents that have been difficult to look good against. Uh, but he certainly looked good against this opponent on Saturday night and is receiving some some overdue appreciation from the masses. Uh, without a doubt. You know, uh, that was one of those, in case you forgot, uh, yeah, performances. Yeah. And uh, went out there against Darren Till, a guy who was favored by by the time fight time came around, which is crazy. Um, and Tyron went out there and uh, took care of business. Um, he's such a good counterpuncher, and he always has the right tactics. Um, he's very disciplined, always executes the game plan extremely well. Um, and it's just awesome to see this kind of uh, performance out of Tyron Woodley, who has been criticized for being so measured and this and that. Well, what, he didn't finish Damian Maya after he tore his shoulder in the first round? He didn't right. finish a guy um, in uh, Wonder Boy? You know, it's like you're talking about one of the best strikers of all time, one of the best grapplers of all time. So, yeah, he, he's been unfairly criticized, and he went out there against Darren Till, who was much larger than him, who was a much more experienced striker, so we thought. Um, and Tyron Woodley just took it to him, man. The first round, he had him thinking about the takedown, um, and then, you know, I, I think that really had an effect on the way that he landed that right hand, uh, similar yeah. to how he did against Robbie Lawler. He was clinching early, clinching early, and it gets you to shut down your offense a little bit because you think this guy's going to, you know, try to take me down again. The hands drop a little bit. You get a bit, a, bit, a bit lackadaisical on the feet, and Tyron landed that right hand from hell. Um, he went second. He was patient, landed that huge shot, and those elbows were absolutely brutal. Oh. Credit to Darren Till for hanging in there. I don't think a lot of welterweight, well, welterweights in the world would have been able to withstand that kind of punishment but in the end it was the submission uh that darce of tyron woodley that showed just how dangerous this guy is and then he was rewarded his brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and of course if you know tyron you know that that was the most genu genuine reaction of the night out of him his mm. jaw dropped when dean thomas presented him with that black belt and i think there are a couple reasons why i mean if somebody appropriately put it on twitter part of it is because he doesn't really care what people think about if he doesn't care about those people but the people that he really cares about like Dean Thomas he he really cares about what they think and the yeah. fact that Dean gave him that gesture after that you know Dean thought the fight was going to end by rear naked choke he told me so he wanted to make sure he had the black belt in tow just That's in case cool. Dean won by submission so then you go Darce can flow you know I mean a Darce like that has a pretty Darce right there uh, you know, you got no choice but to give the black belt. But pretty cool, I would think, for you uh, to see that moment play out the way it did. I, I was stoked for him. And I agree, you know, they, they wrapped the strap around his waist, you know. They raised his hand after he hit that submission. He's <laughs> just completely, you know, oh, good, yeah, cool. <laughs> He gets the black belt. He's like, yes! I'm so excited! This is awesome. I, I, I mean, that's what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is all about. It is a huge, huge accomplishment. I actually uh, just awarded uh, a black belt with my business partner, Jason Hunt, over the weekend. And this guy is like, a superhero in, in, in the police department over here. And he wow. said, you know, it, it doesn't matter. He's like, this is what I've been working for my whole life. Promotions, anything I've done on, on law, law enforcement and doesn't matter. It's all about the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. The guy was absolutely stoked. Uh, but you, you could see the same thing with Tyron Woodley. It's a huge accomplishment. And it just shows how much of a martial artist Tyron Woodley truly is. Yep. And I liked in his post-fight interview with you guys, uh, you had a strong six minutes out of most of you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You were all great. Uh, but no, I, I, 
I thought he was really good in talking about jujitsu as one of his early bases, you know, his bases early on. Yeah. Right. And so I think that was part of, of his emotion. Just really happy to have sort of completed that mission. What's the name of the, of the police officer who got the black belt? Are we allowed to say that here on the airwaves or what? Uh, Don. How's that? Okay. Well, leave it at Don. If you get pulled over, I guess we don't have his surname, but if you do get pulled over in the metropolitan Los Angeles area. He's a detective. And, and I don't know if he wants his name out there, but he's okay, the man. Right, that's good. Of course he's a detective. Yeah. You know, it's Ken from yeah. RockyBJJ.com. <laughs> um, so, uh, so great stuff for Tyron Woodley. One interesting angle for Darren Till. He basically took the entire first round off, Kenny. Calculatedly, strategically, this is what his approach was going to be. And I think there's some regret there, more regret for the, the big right hand of Woodley's that he uh, was out of place to be able to take. But he... He says next time maybe he would warm up differently. We heard Eddie mm -hmm. Alvarez talk about that recently, that strategically for him now going forward, he tries to get a full round in in the back. I don't know how you treated that warm up from fight to fight, but it seems like Till, you know, what the learning starts right away. And for Darren Till, he knows he needs to go in there maybe with a little more of a lather to get some things done early against somebody like Tyron Woodley. Yes, absolutely. I used to love a long warm-up myself. When I cut down to 145 pounds, that really was not possible. I wanted to save everything for fight night. I remember I was warming up for Jose Aldo for like 30 seconds, and my legs were cramping. My muscles felt like I just, you know, I felt like I just ran a marathon. I go, guys, that's it for the warm-up. I'm, I'm just going to chill here and, and wait. And so I don't know if it was due to the weight cut. Maybe he didn't have enough energy or just maybe improper uh, warming up and, and just thinking that he was good to go and I don't, right. who knows. But, um, yeah, I, th this game is so difficult. It, it's There's so many things that can go right and wrong, and, and you have to find what works best for you. Darren Till is still only 25 years old. It's amazing that at 25 you already fought for a belt. Uh, this is a guy that I believe will come back stronger and better. Why? Because of his post-fight interview. He's the guy who says, listen, yeah. I just lost to the better guy. That's it. When you see a person who makes excuses, oh, he, you know, when he hit me with that lucky punch, you know, I just wasn't able to recover. <laughs> I thought it was an early stoppage. You know, whatever it is, you know, it, they're not going to get better. They, they, they want to put it on someone else. And this right. is a very, very honest game that requires you to be just as honest to yourself. And Darren Till... Um, I, I thought was very honest in his assessment of the game, and and, and it, it showed right. I mean, Darren uh, Tyron Woodley, sorry, looked like he was a different class of fighter uh, on Saturday night. And I think that's what he's trying to prove to everyone that he is this world class long-term type of great, yeah. you know, and the only way obviously to get there is to keep winning fights. And when you're chasing guys like George St. Pierre and Matt Hughes to make a proclamation that you're the best welterweight of all time uh, is going to fall on a lot of deaf ears. And I think sometimes he hasn't gotten appreciation because he said he's the best welterweight of all time and people just haven't seen the body of work. But this win does a whole lot for that body of work. And with all due respect to to Johnny Hendricks, hopefully with a fat Copenhagen in his lower lip as he's listening to this right now. Tyron Woodley doesn't want to be Johnny Hendricks. You know, he doesn't want to be one of these champions. And I know Hendricks had some circumstances, some decisions didn't go his way. Of course, Carlos Condit's whole narrative changed, I thought, with that Robbie Lawler decision. But, you know, Tyron Woodley wants to be an all-time great. And I think when you add a Darren Till win to what he's done against some other people, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, chief among them, um, you know, he really... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to go the all-time discussion tonight. Maybe he creeps into that top three or four welterweights of all time, but he's certainly moving in the right direction. Um, and that brings us to George St. Pierre, at least just for a second, because yeah. I think now people really want to see that fight. And forget about November 3rd, because if George St. Pierre is going to take this fight, you don't need Kenny Florian to be the one to tell you that it's not going to happen on <laughs> yeah. November 3rd. Um, but 
GSP has never seemingly wanted that fight. You know, that has never been a fight. It's been a fight that's been on the table now, you know, for the better part of 24 months because it's a fight that Tyron would love. Um, so what do you think is next for Tyron Woodley? I would imagine you don't think it's GSP. I don't think it's GSP to go back to who the greatest welterweight of all time is. You know, uh, listen, I still think it's George St. Pierre. I, I, I truly do. I, I just think that when you look at Tyron Woodley and who he's faced and the fact that this sport is evolving and getting better all the time, George yeah. St. Pierre has never faced a grappler like a Damian Maya, and he's never faced uh, a striker, striker like, like, a, like Stephen yeah. Wonderboy Thompson. So, um, again, um, I, I think over time, as Tyron continues to win, I think he will take that number one spot. Um, however, um, I think this is a fight that could happen, however. When you look at Tom Woodley and his impressive wins and who he's beaten, I think if he's able to get another couple of wins um, and do it like he did against Darren Till, if he's able to destroy a Colby Covington, for example, there's only really one guy left, and that's Kamaru Usman. If, again, he, goes by, he gets through him or cuts through him early, I think that uh, it's a better chance of happening. I, I truly do. I think for George St. Pierre, he wants a huge fight, and he wants to fight someone who you know, people are very impressed with, uh, a fight that people would consider a super fight, a fight that yeah. is going to help his legacy. And I think as of right now, he probably still feels like he's the best welterweight. But when he starts to question that, because George St. Pierre is about challenges, just like Tyron Woodley is about challenges. Yeah. When you start to question, am I am I the best at the end of the day? If I beat Tyron Woodley, he puts a stamp on that. Um, when that starts to kind of creep into his mind, I think we'll see George St. Pierre take that fight. So maybe if he's still around another couple years or another year. Well, the fight that I really want to see, and I want to see it here relatively soon because I think for Tyron Woodley, momentum is important. Staying active is important. We've seen what it's done for Israel Adesanya and, of mm -hmm. course, Jessica Andrade over the weekend. I want to see Madison Square Garden early November, Colby Covington, right? I yeah, mean, that's and the fight. I think, and I think a lot of people who maybe thought that was a, a close fight on paper will look at this recent result and think that Woodley can really put a beating on Colby Covington. I think it's a competitive fight. I can't wait to see it. And, uh, I hope that they work quickly to try to make that happen. You know, you know, Madison Square Garden and the nature of a big show and the pay-per-view points and money that comes with it would appeal to your, to your guy T. Wood. So maybe November third, they'll uh, they'll unify those belts, so to speak, even though the interim belt is not a thing anymore, and it will be Woodley and Covington. What do you think about the reality of that and how competitive that might be? I think Colby Covington deserves it. Listen, this is a guy who put in a great performance against Rafael dos Anjos, another great performance against Damian Maya. You may not love what he says, but um, I, I think he's a really tough fighter, uh, and I think it's a it's a pretty big fight. I think people would be very excited about it. Um, he's the bad guy, you know, and I think Tyron needs to let him be the bad guy. He can go in there as a good guy and, and make it a big fight. I think it'd be an exciting one, and it's a fight that's interesting because I think very few people um, you know, have the wrestling skills. I think Damian Maya tried to make it a grinding, um, tough fight you know, for yeah. Tyron Woodley, I think Colby would, would make it that much more difficult in a lot of ways. And he has the wrestling and he has the conditioning clearly, as he showed against Rafael Dos Anjos to make it a tough fight for Tyron. Um, and you know, I, I know Tyron wants that fight. I think Tyron really wants to put his hands on Colby Covington. Uh, and, and I, I think maybe, uh, I don't know if it would happen in November. I, I don't know if Colby or, or Tyron would be ready, but if they're talking about it, man, let's do it. I'd love to see yeah. it. And Covington has already thrown out New York City, so we'll see if they can uh, work quickly to try to get that happen. I I'm think. hearing another main event for, for MSG. Well, right. There's right. a lot of different rumors going around, but we, we will see. Uh, 
we will see, and maybe we'll continue that part of the conversation off the air, and yeah. we'll see if Darren Till goes up to 185 pounds. I think how well fight week went relative to, relative to his weight cut will maybe keep him at 70 for a fight like Kamaru Usman or mm-hmm. something like that, but mm-hmm. um, very productive weekend, needless to say, for one Tyron Woodley, and also for one Ray Longo, let us get to now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Well, I don't know if you're smiling like I do the morning after the New England Patriots win the Super Bowl, but I think what the masses just want to know is, A, why aren't you smiling yet? And how does Ray Longo celebrate? Congratulations, my friend. Outstanding job. Oh, thank you, thank you. I think it was a great, great fight for Aljo against a real uh, tough opponent who was undefeated. I think another, like I think I said it before, it just it was a good growing fight for Aljo. I thought, you know, even Brett Johns, now this guy, they're two tough, durable guys. And uh, I think that's what he needed to get back on track and to, uh, you know, get his confidence back and show what he could do. So in terms of his grappling, right, I look at this fighter and say that part of it, he's got, I mean, he can be the champion. In terms of his striking, what do you think he needs to do to, or or do you think he's there right now and ready for Dillashaw in eight weeks, right? I mean, what do you think from a striking standpoint he needs to do to, to put himself in position to be the champion in this division? Yeah, look, I'm going to say this. On the ground, he could probably, he'll get anybody. He has the yep. ability to get anybody. I think that's, uh, I think anybody who even fucks around with him wrestling he's he's really really good with the uh blending the wrestling with the uh jujitsu really really good uh striking wise i still think he's a work in progress because i know what he could do in the gym and i still you know you see glimpses of it but i need more consistency with the striking and and with aljo man i'm going to be a really hard critic because again he's a guy with so much natural talent that I just, you know, I'm inch inch by inch, fight by fight, I think we're bringing something different out in him every time. But, uh, like, again, when he really gets it together and, you know, I think we're seeing signs of it, he's he's definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think he, I would love to see the Dominic Cruz fight, uh, right. just how that plays out, and uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, no, he has to, uh, I think, gain a little more confidence in it. I think his distance is still a little off, but I think he... he really showed some good signs this fight and uh again with him i'm going to be a little more critical because i know what he could do and his you know you know he's still he's still not operating on all cylinders when it comes to that but he is operating on all cylinders when it comes to you know the way he blends it into the takedowns and all of that stuff so he he knows you know he's smart he's got a really good fight iq and he knows how to stay within himself and he's tricky man and that guy can yeah, throw man. five, six, he can throw five, six, seven kicks in like two seconds, you know. And I still think his range was a little off on that, but he's he's really fucking good. I just gotta bring it out of him, and I think these fights really helped a lot with just letting yeah. this guy grow and gain confidence against, you know, you know, two two tough, durable guys. Yeah, coming up on a dozen UFC fights, and, and a lot of them have gone the distance and have been, have been valuable experience. Obviously, this one did not go the distance. He also, and then I want, want to talk to Ken Flo maybe about the nature of the submission and wherever else you want to go, but he talked to us about featherweight on Thursday. And I think not unlike Dustin Poirier, who had so much success at 45, that kept him in that division. And I think Aljo is the type of guy who maybe could could take a, a high profile short notice opportunity at 45. He mm-hmm. just said maybe going up to 45 and adding muscle 
would get him on a, a championship trajectory. I just I didn't quite realize that you know it's not easy, man. There's not a lot of fat to cut there for him. What do you think about all that? Oh, you know, listen, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where he's getting the weight from. That kid is jacked. You could see it in some of the pictures he posts before the fight. So I'd have to really get with Tony Ricci and see what he thinks about, uh, you know, going up or, you know, what that would do strength-wise and all of that shit. But I think he's definitely big enough. But uh, at 135, if he could make the weight, he's very big, he's very strong, and he's very talented. And if he could do it, I, I'd like to see him stay there. But like what you said, a short-notice fight? Yeah, definitely. You know, right. he's always in the gym, and he's, you know, he spars with bigger guys. So, yeah, no, no, it's not a not a problem either way, but I just think for some of these 35ers, he, he's, he's a fucking handful. Ray, is that true that that submission was invented when Aljo was stretching you out one day? Is that true? <laughs> is that, what, the, the full Nelson one? Or the yeah, one no, he was, he was getting your leg back. It was so he flexible. He's like, maybe I could turn this into a submission. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he get, we call that the surfboard. He stretches <laughs> out my uh, lower back and my neck. <laughs> can we call that the Funkmaster Flex? Can we? Is that is that the, the name of the submission master. now? That's got to be it. That, yeah, yeah, we could call it the Funk-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> hey, when you talk to Aljo, though, seriously, about that submission, was that something he does in training a lot? You don't see it, you know, all the time, but when you're experienced enough, you know how the joints work and all that stuff. Cause it seemed, you know, typically it's a stretch of the hamstring. That one seemed more like a knee bar. Was that something he just saw in the fight and just went for? No, I think he, he said it, he tried it on Burrell, but it didn't work. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like when Matt, when we were watching it, Matt was like, you know, you grab the leg so you don't get thrown off the back. You right. Know what I mean? Exactly. You can't go anywhere. It's a way to so save he, the position and you can. Ex yeah. Exactly. So, but he, he turned it into a submission and he's done, definitely done it before. Look, this guy is a, he's a pisser to watch in the gym. He does some fucking wacky shit. That's why I said from day one, Funkmaster is a great name for him because he can do a lot of different shit, man. He's mm -hmm. very uh, unorthodox and he's very creative. And, yeah, I think you'll see more shit like that out of him in the future. It's a great win. And I just yeah, want to say for the record. I thought it was, like, again, I thought it was a great growing fight. Yep. And I want to say for the record, Ray, I think his next five fights are going to be at Bantamweight. I'm not trying to change the narrative. No, I no, hope no, you I get know. the Dominic Cruz fight. And I think that's the weight class in which he has the best chance to realize a UFC title. I'm just saying that he there's not a lot of weight to cut there, right? And so I do no, think no that if you don't about. get the Cruz fight, right, I think you, you're in a position where you can be selective now and maybe there's a bigger fight out there depending on where the UFC chooses to go. Um, but it's Russia week for Ray Longo. I mean, you're focused. See, that's the thing. It isn't like – this isn't like Super Bowl Monday. No celebration. Like, this is fight week. Um, Rob Devalishvili, man. Let's go. No, he's outside fucking shadow boxing. He looks like a stone cold killer. So I'm very <laughs> excited for him. Uh, he leaves tonight, and then me and Matt will hop on a plane Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. I wish I was 20 years younger, but all in all, it's <laughs> right. a fun time. Right. No, I get it. Well, just em em embrace the travel, right? Just attack it the way you attack your nutrition. And, and Dude, how and do you handle an ambush? You go right through it, Kenny. <laughs> We're just fucking hey. plowing right through. We don't have an ambush. Listen, you better keep an eye on Sarah out there in Russia, okay? Uh, I got to tell you, I already gave We don't need the, any uh, problems. We already gave him the protocol. Like, <laughs> this uh, this could be very tricky, Kenny, and I don't think anybody... I, and I, he might not been, come back. I've been told by a couple of very close friends that uh, they're not fucking around with a lot no. of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Keep an eye so, on uh, 
it's on. We're uh, we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's, and I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> everything works out. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> he messes with everybody. Like you know, know he doesn't yeah. care. He likes joking <laughs> around with everybody. So uh, be yeah, careful. I think that's funny, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let me yeah, show you we... Russian <laughs> prison. Yeah, yeah. How's yeah. that? You'd be knee deep in shit and piss. You think that's funny? Oh my god! Oh, man. Uh, you guys see why when when directors come up with these short films, why they call Ray Longo and put him in it? You know? uh, so, uh, so you know, Marab, very quickly here. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but he could easily be riding an eight fight winning streak going into this fight. Split decision to Frankie Signs, then that technical submission uh, to Ricky Simone, and that has him at zero and two in the UFC. He's a massive betting favorite here against another kid I like in Terrion Ware. Um, if he gets a finish of Terrion Ware, we're going to give you an extra fifty dollars. We are also oh, going to give you an incentive. We're also well, going to give you an incentive to pick the main event. It's oh, it's it's Mark Hunt and Alexi Olenek. You know, you, you had Darren Till. Is that right? Did you have Darren Till? I did last have Darren weekend? Till. Yeah, and hats yeah. off to T. Woodley, man. What a great performance by him. Really good. So we gave you the chance to win a hundred bucks or lose fifty last week. You went with Darren Till. That didn't work out well for you. So uh, you're down to two hundred dollars. <laughs> Mark Hunt, Alexi Olenek. $50 if you're on the right side. We're not going to take any money if you're wrong, but a chance to win $50 there. And if Marab gets a finish, another $50 there. You go on uh, Mark Hunter, Alexio Linick in Russia this weekend. Ah, man, Mark Hunt's getting old, but I'll still go with him. I'll getting go old. He's 44. Hunt. He's been old for a while, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm pulling for the old guys. Let's go, Mark. All right, man. <laughs> Mark Hunt, it is. Are you still Let's boycotting go. the NFL? hundred percent. Unbelievable. 100%. Unbelievable. You know who else just got boycotted? Take a guess. Who's that? Who's that? Fucking Nike. They're in the fucking toilet. <laughs> yeah. Go fuck yourselves. What the fuck? That poor Pat Tillman gave his life for this country. This is what we do. Widget. We're so fucked up now, man. We are. We're in a downward spiral, man. We got to regroup. <laughs> well, I with people like you. You know, and your patriotism just bleeding out. I think we're going in the right direction. So it is weird, though. Kenny and I have young kids, and the podcast here isn't necessarily the platform for this discussion. But it's weird bringing kids into this world, man, with everything that's going on. You know, I'm like, man, I'm like, what am I? I'm just bringing a son into this world right now. I got to be careful. But uh, that's a, a conversation yeah, it, for another that, day. That's a, that's a topic for another uh, podcast. But that, yeah. that's a, it is scary. My kids are older, 23, 22, and I got to yeah. tell you, man, it's just. I swear to God, I think they're too nice for this world. I think they're going to get... I'm, I'm hoping that they don't get fucking trampled. I really do. They're just nice kids, and I think we're heading into a shitstorm. Yeah. All right, my man. Well, safe travels. Congrats on a huge weekend. Send Aljo our best, and we will talk to you next Monday when you get home. All right. Thanks, guys. Good luck, Greg. Right, here he is. Take it easy. Thanks, Kenny. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Ken Flo, in terms of Tyron Woodley's legacy, you touched on something, and I know you brought it up or somebody brought it up on the post-fight show. Fighting this generation of fighters, right? Everybody seemingly athletic and well-rounded and five-tool players. I think that is sort of why we find ourselves in these conversations about the greatest of all time in 2018 because the game is the best it's ever been right now. Yep. The, the sport's only 25 years old. The UFC's only 25 years old. And these are the guys who are the best we've ever seen do it. So I think if Woodley gets to seven or eight defenses, it isn't out of the realm of possibility to start comparing him to somebody like George St. Pierre. We're not we're not there yet. Without a doubt. And, and again, just the nature of the sport. It is evolving. The fighters are getting better all the time. 
um, it, it's a different era. And, and you look at it, and it happens across the board, right? As combat evolves, as the sport evolves, you have to look at a, a LeBron James, for example, as being the best of all time. That is the recent, you know, guy that that's where, you know, the sport is heading. Um, and as Tyron defends that title time and time again, um, I think he will take that number one spot. That brings us to Jessica Andrade, a fighter who I do believe will be a UFC champion yeah. in one division or another. Uh, she knocks out Karolina Kovalkiewicz at 115 pounds, Kenny, a result like this inside of two minutes in the first round. You know, Jessica Andrade is wearing a glove, ladies and gentlemen, right? I mean, she is just a powerhouse, man, yes. you know, and. When Again, all across the UFC record books, as we said last week, 14th UFC appearances, first woman to 10 UFC wins, and she's the toughest fight for every other fighter in that division with respect to Tatiana Suarez, who we'll get to. Mm -hmm. uh, huge weekend for Jessica Andrade, and if you know the person, you couldn't be happier for her. I was blown away by her performance, um, and again, doing that against a, a true veteran of the game, a tough woman in Karolina Kovalkiewicz, I was uh, just... I don't know. Wow. Uh, the fact that Same. also I heard that she didn't even want to use a takedown in that fight. She basically wanted to try out her striking. She felt that she was going to get the knockout, and that's exactly what she did. You know, Twitter's a funny place, by the way. Uh, someone was watching the post-fight show, I think. They're like, oh, yeah, Kenny was uh, criticizing her and saying, I can't believe that women have that kind of power. That's not what I was saying, but... People are funny. I've say, I say it all the time. When you see someone at a lighter weight class who has that kind of power, you just don't see that every day. We saw Rose Namajunas do that against Yuana Young Jacek, right? Um, but you don't see 115 pounders, 125 pounders, men or women, with that kind of power uh, on drive. The numbers man. Unbelievable. bear it out. Yeah, the numbers exactly. bear it out, Kenny. Exactly. I mean, the stats yeah. bear it out, and that's why I think our reaction was such. Uh, you know, yeah. Holly Holm and Rousey has this historical place that no knockout is ever going to get to, right? But mm -hmm. what I saw Saturday night was as special as any knockout I've seen in the women's game since they came into the UFC in 2013. Yes. So, uh, you know, but yeah, you you are right that people always will try to figure out some sort of way, I guess, in some capacity to find an angle or take away from somebody. Um, and I think for Andrade, depending on when Rose Namajunas comes back, that's going to be the fight. Might as well talk yeah. about Tatiana Suarez now in the context Man, of the strawweight division. But this, we talked about, you know, like I hate to, I'm not an I told you so type of guy, but if you've listened to this show, we have been saying for years that this is a future champion because there's really nobody at 115 pounds that wrestles the way she, even when she wins, she reacts like she's won a wrestling match the way she runs around the octagon. Yeah. This is a special, special fighter, and I think she's a fighter that is going to be able to take everybody down. The question is, is, gonna be, is she going to be able to keep them there and outgrapple some of these fighters who are really elite grapplers? But uh, I think... In terms of the odds makers, I think Tatiana Suarez will will be favored when she does fight for the UFC title, whenever that may be. She just made the second best wrestler in that division look like they've never wrestled before. Like that that's the kind of wrestling that she's bringing in to the octagon and it's such a huge advantage in that division where you know grappling really isn't their strong suit. Aside from a Mackenzie Dern I don't see it going well for a lot of fighters out there just because of the way that she matches up against everybody. Um, she is pretty slick with the submission game, at least knows how to avoid a lot of submissions. Um, she is an absolute juggernaut when it comes to that wrestling. She's pretty tall and lanky for the division. She is committed. She is driven. She is determined. She is tough. Um, 
watch out. I mean, Tatiana Suarez put on uh, a, a clinic out there. And, um, I, you know, I felt bad for Collar Suarez. Even after the first round, I almost wanted that fight to, to stop because Suarez was really putting it on her. She is a special fighter. Talk about future champions, man. She might be the one. And, and even you look at the way that she matches up against Andrade. Is Andrade going to be able to stop those takedowns? Right. I don't know. Well, right. And and I think Jessica is as well equipped to get back up as anybody off of her back sure. because of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu experience and just the sheer strength that she has as a former Bantamweight, right? Um, I think for Suarez, her frame is, is amazing for this division, mm-hmm. but she attacks the weight cut very well. Uh, and Millennia MMA, too, with Rami Ram and Batiste Mansouri out there in California, right? I mean, these guys know striking. So I think we haven't even seen it, right? Like a lot of Habib's coaches would say, you haven't even seen what he can do on mm-hmm. the feet. You don't know what Suarez necessarily can do on the feet because she doesn't even need to go there. So I think it's very exciting for her to see where she may go. And it can happen pretty quickly for you at 115 pounds. So we'll see what happens with Suarez. She came in number nine in the world. But, uh, man, it's very exciting to see where she could go. And, and again, that was a good slot for her on FX. You know, it was a fight that was initially going to be on pay-per-view. They become the featured prelim and likely more eyeballs on it because Mm -hmm. of it. Um, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, a winner by knee bar over Brandon Davis. So we had a knee bar from Kenny Robertson, some variation of it at UFC 157. And that was the first in UFC history. We had two this weekend, Ken Flo. Absolutely amazing. I wish I had you next to me to help me explain some of it. Um, but so what is it? A Suluev stretch? What do we call this? It's named after the fighter Amir Suluev. I I guess he was the first one to hit it and demonstrate it in a mixed martial, in a professional mixed martial arts fight. I think he did it back in 2002 uh, against a guy named Paul Cahoon or Cahoon or whatever. Um, And uh, Amir Suluev, he was a fighter who actually recently died uh, of stomach cancer, by the way. Um, But Amir was in the UFC at one point. Uh, but he did hit that move. That's why they named it after uh, Suliev. Uh, he hit that knee stretch. And, and Zabit, uh, or Zabist, as I like to call him, yeah. um, actually, that was more of a stretch for sure. I, I think Sterling's was probably more of a knee bar. Uh, to me, that's the way it looked, just based on where his shin was placed on the top of the thigh uh, there in that fight against Damon. But uh, this one uh, with Zabit was definitely a stretch that he hit on Davis and... Um, yeah, it, it, it's a brutal submission, and I wonder if this was something where he he saw it and he goes, "Oh, geez, I, maybe I do that if I yeah. take the back," you know. But uh, yeah, man, a pretty solid performance from Zabit. Um, listen, I, I think he's a fantastic fighter. I, I still think that that was probably wasn't the best of his performances. Uh, I think it, it took him a little while to get into his rhythm, and, and certainly, you know, getting a a fight like that on, on relatively short notice, I think, may, might have thrown him off a little bit. And Brandon Davis is, is very tough, and he really didn't yeah. have a whole lot to lose in that fight. Uh, but for Zabit, I mean, uh, he continues to impress, and, and he's consistent, he's winning, uh, and it was a good win. And it wasn't a perfect performance, and you're right, it left him open to people suggesting that he's overrated. I think that sort of lacks respect for Brandon Davis in some respects, and I also just think that maybe... You know, he isn't quite ready for Chad Mendez. I mean, that seems to be the name that he keeps coming back to if Yair Rodriguez mm. is not ready. I, I don't know what will happen. I think they want to make that Sabit Yair fight. But uh, if all of a sudden it's Chad Mendez, who is, you know, perennial number one or two guy, we'll see where Zabit is at. But uh, certainly you're always excited to see his name on the fight card uh, and a big knee bar. I mean, this night was so good, Ken Flo, that you get two knee bars. You get what a mm-hmm. Suliev stretch and, and neither one gets a goddamn bonus. You know, <laughs> It was crazy. And so uh, many good knockouts, too. I mean, I'm yeah. sure we're going to get to the other ones, but man, unbelievable. 
And we will get to some of those knockouts. I want to spend a minute on Jimmy Rivera and John Dodson. You know, I thought it was a composed fight from Jimmy Rivera. I thought it was a clean decision for him, and mm. he needed to prioritize the win. Uh, for John Dodson, you know, I thought there were some adjustments maybe that could have been made during the fight. I thought he was maybe even more conservative than normal. I mean, this is a guy that I said on the broadcast hasn't been finished in 31 pro fights. And sitting right there, oftentimes I find myself wondering what he is waiting for. And especially at this stage of his career, alternating wins and losses over six or maybe even now eight consecutive fights. Um, you got to go if you're John Dodson, especially in that third and final round. And I thought uh, on a night of big winners, he was certainly not among them. Listen, this is the way that this is the way that John Dodson fights, you know, in my opinion. He looks for yeah. that overhand right, that's his big finishing move, but people are onto him now. He tends to just circle away from pressure repeatedly. Um, you know, can have a very hard time kind of initiating his range. Um, looks for takedowns here and there, but it's a lot of stuff from the outside that really isn't so threatening. He's more concerned with, you know, not taking damage, which I can absolutely respect. But um, it's performances like that and consistently uh, that are going to get you off the main card. You know, the, that those are the kind of performances, to be candid, that are going to get you further and further close, you know, kind of further away from the main card and uh, closer to maybe getting cut. So, um, yeah, not, not the performance that John Dodson wanted at, at this point in his career, especially in a division that is as stacked at, at Bantamweight. He's 34. He'll be 34 years old later this month. And he said before the fight, you know, he had prioritized the finish. It didn't happen for him. And for Jimmy Rivera, this at least keeps him, you know, in that conversation. Uh, but he's also another guy who, you know, has had more decisions and finishes. And perhaps that slows his role a little bit uh, as they're all chasing down T.J. Dillashaw. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, you know, when are they going to learn? Ooh. And and obviously you want to give him all the respect that he deserves but for Nico Price, there seemed to be a, a, a clear path of least resistance here in this fight. He just couldn't help himself, Flo. Dude, that, well, that's what I thought. I said, listen, Al Hassan, if they stand up and trade, uh, Nico's probably in trouble. But I figured, well, you know, it's Nico. He's going he's gonna to try to take him down. You know, that's where he's going to have the big-time advantage. Nah, let's stand and huh. trade. Well, that's what happens. Al Hassan, his speed and power is, is a thing of beauty, man. My goodness. So Abdul Razak Al Hassan. You know, he said he's got a tough resume to live up to every fight, and he keeps doing it. So 10 career wins, all of them first-round knockouts. You know, lone loss, I believe, in MMA to Omari Akhmedov, where he really got out-wrestled and spent six months there after wrestling. So we'll see. You know, this is a huge win for him, mm -hmm. and I think he's going to get a name in the top 15, and then you'll see what he can do with it. But, I mean, this is Chuck Liddell at 170 pounds. You want nowhere near that right hand. And yeah. uh, we will talk to his coach, Safe Saud, coming up here in a little bit. Uh, we talked a little bit about Aljamain Sterling against Cody Stamen. Uh, Jeff Neal against Frank Camacho, Ken Flo. You know, I think sometimes when Joe Rogan sees a fighter fight live for the first time, um, you know, he can really lend some appreciation to how the guy is relative to guys that have come before him. So it was pretty cool to see just how excited Joe was about Jeff Neal because it wasn't just the head kick, Kenny. It was everything that came before it. Yeah. Just so dynamic on the feet, very fast, and just a lot of different weapons on the feet. And obviously they were coming every which way at Frank the Crank, who is game as hell, but but not enough against Jeff Neal. Yes, he is. And and, and Frank Camacho, uh, to his credit, is really tough as nails, man. Um, he, he was making Frank that Frank the Crank. Frank the Crank. He he was making it very exciting, obviously, and and that kind of warrior yell that he had uh, during the fight was pretty cool. But he was taking a lot of damage, and Jeff Neal was just staying very calm and composed. And he was picking his shots. He was reading what he was doing. And he saw that that hand kept dropping, um, and he went for that shot upstairs with that shin to the jaw. And, 
man, that, that's the kind of knockout that would give you nightmares. You know, that, that was just brutal, man. Um, couldn't have landed cleaner. Um, and even on the way down, you see Frank Camacho's bloody face smashes into his own oh. knee, puts blood all over his thigh, and he is out, out, out. Um, Jeff Neal, man, uh, just put on a, a, beautiful, a beautiful performance, and people will be remembering that knockout for a very long time. And Camacho really is Mr. Congeniality, one of the best guys in the sport. I yes. think he posted on Instagram a picture of himself getting knocked out wearing like a cowboy hat, having fun with it. So, uh, And I can tell you, too, that Camacho's next fight will be in the UFC. And it was really nice of his manager, Jason House, to sort of go out of his way to try to make sure he made that happen. Because I think a lot of guys, when they get knocked out like this, you know, not only do they go to the hospital um, and their lives effectively change forever, but sometimes the, the pink slip comes shortly thereafter, and it just ends up being the worst night of your life in more ways than one. So Camacho will uh, live to fight another day inside the octagon, and so will Diego Nightmare. Sanchez, Ken Flo, you had him at plus 185. I mean, you just I say the name Diego Sanchez, I smile. You know, I will selectively campaign for certain guys to get in the Hall of Fame and not like I have any pull. OK, I'll, I'll I'll back myself up and say I have no pull. OK, but because I host the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, maybe I can send an email to a guy who might have some. Diego Sanchez is a UFC Hall of Famer. Right. Don't tell me I otherwise. I, right. I mean, how can you look at what this man has accomplished, not only for his mark on the sport, but also the style that he brings and all the classic fights that he's been involved with. You know, and if you've seen, you know, uh, Diego Sanchez, you say, well, he's been getting knocked out and he hasn't had great performances. He's been losing prior to this, blah, blah, blah. Go yeah. back and watch his performance against Carol Parisian. Go and watch his fight against Nick Diaz at 170 pounds. You know, there, there's so many classic fights for, that Diego was involved in um, and so many amazing wins. This guy is a killer. Um, you look at how long he's been fighting. He is a stud, dude. And, and you look at the, his mental approach. I mean, there's very few fighters that put in as much work on the yeah. mental side as they do on the physical side. And, and Diego has always been that guy. Uh, he's the real deal when it comes to fighting. Um, he believes what he says. Um, and, and I really think that has been probably his main weapon over the years is the power of his own mind. Yeah. Conditioning the body, conditioning the mind. He's 36 years old. Now I know you're happy that he's fighting at welterweight. So not even cutting to lightweight anymore. Right. Which I think allows him to compete. You know, he weighed 173 pounds after the fight. You know, I don't know what he I mean, showed yeah, up to he, the arena. At, exactly. And he, is he the, he's the last guy from season one, right? Left. Fighting right. in the and UFC? He, yes, and he's yeah. the longest tenured guy on the UFC roster with Man. continuous service, right? Andre Arlovsky dates to 2000, I think, and there might be another name out there, but Diego mm -hmm. has been on this roster since he fought you in 2005. You know, Amazing. it's absolutely unbelievable. He gets a 17th UFC win here, and this might have been his sweetest just given the Jackson Wink backdrop, and I don't know how much you followed of that yes. story, but some friction with Donald Cerrone and Mike Winklejohn and the team, yep. I guess, to a lesser extent than just Wink. But Diego Sanchez, as a longtime Jackson Wink frontman, came to the defense of his team. And what better way to defend your team than to cash as a plus 185 underdog, right? So there was an extra layer to this one, Kenny, and uh, got to feel good for your old foe there, Diego Nightmare Sanchez. Yeah, for sure, man. And I like the way that he matched up. This was a vintage performance from him, uh, repeatedly taking White down, smashing him. Uh, I was happy for Diego. And even if you're putting him in the contributor's wing, right? I mean, whatever it takes, Diego Sanchez. He's a Hall of Famer, man. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
Uh, and I don't even think we're going to have to work too hard to make that happen. Yep. And, and Diego might get up to 20 UFC wins. You never know. I think there's some matchups at 70 that really could be appealing. And the Cerrone fight, right? I mean, now the friction between Donald and, and Diego Man. is such that uh, that I think that fight has a lot of legs. Um, we're going to talk to Safe Saoud in a minute, but I just want to touch on Jim Miller, if I could. 30 UFC fights. And I think the best way to put it into context is to just grab a fucking number two pencil. I got my Dixon, Dixon Ticonderoga and write one, two, three, four, right? Those are all UFC fights. And get up to 30 and then tell me what you think. You know, unbelievable. Oh, for sure, dude. I, I agree. I agree. Did you? Uh, was this a fight pass? I don't know if you you watched it, right? But I did him, not. It, I know, didn't see the. Well, I, 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 so, I saw highlights. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you know, and it happened pretty quickly. Obviously, in getting the submission in a minute and twenty nine seconds, you know. But I think you know, Joe 30. said it was the best he had ever looked, and if it wasn't the best he's ever looked, it's pretty close to it in forty two professional fights. But you know, the Lyme disease backdrop to this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about it on the broadcast that he was diagnosed a few years ago, and finally he's found the right mix of medications and supplements. And so he is able to, you know, compete at a higher level than maybe he's been able to over the past two years. But to get to 30 UFC fights with Lyme disease uh, is is just insane. So um, congrats to Jim Miller. Table that, though, for a second, because on the guest line, Mm -hmm. the head man for Fortis MMA team that really has had a massive impact on the UFC over the last 18 months or so. Good friend of the program, the no nonsense safe Saud is with us. My man, congratulations on a big weekend. How are you? Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. I'm good. So a lot to get to. I'm going to try to maximize time, but we got to start with Jeff Neal. We talked about him a little bit before you came on, and and I think of all the guys that you have put on this UFC roster or helped get into the UFC, you got to be as excited about him as anyone in terms of the ceiling, the contendership, and everything else. I think it was a great showcase for him this weekend, and and he certainly max, maximized it. Well, 100%. I, I feel like Jeff... Uh, had some of the best striking in the welterweight division. I've said that time and time again, and and for that to come on full display, I mean, it doesn't get much better or cleaner uh, than the victory that he had over a very tough Frank Camacho, who, you know, he's got three five of the nights. He doesn't get put away, and, uh, you know, it was a violent ending um, for sure. So I think two and one for you overall on the night. Also in action was the team captain, Charles Bird. Before we get to the performance, I was very impressed sitting across from him. You know, he's 34 years old. There's a maturity that comes with that. But um, how, I mean, how is the captain determined and how did uh, the captainship come Charles Bird's way? Well, you know, Charles, I've known Charles for 10 years. Charles actually came to Jackson's and trained as an amateur when I was still a fighter. Uh, So I've known Charles for so long. And, and like you stated, there's a maturity about him. Um, and with that comes leadership, right? I, I think Charles is such a complete fighter. Uh, he kind of surprised you guys with the stand-up. He's a great stand-up fighter. He's a great wrestler. Uh, he's great at jiu-jitsu because he trains everything. Uh, he doesn't neglect anything. And he's a guy that leads by example. He's a guy that's in the room every day doing the work. Um, you know, I was definitely very bummed out as I thought he had was fighting a beautiful fight. Uh, right. But, you know, yeah. Darren Stewart, a powerful guy, fought at 205, uh, caught him with that one shot. But besides that, again, fighting such a beautiful fight in, in all phases of the game um, because he doesn't neglect anything. So, you, you know, when you're looking to choose a leader, you're looking to choose someone who leads by their actions. And Charles is the definition of that. Yeah, I was really impressed. Uh, how, how did Charles uh, take that loss? Because he seemed like he was dominating throughout. 
I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to critique, right? I mean, he got caught with the sneakiest little elbow uh, right off the break. You know, people are like, what happened? Did he fall? And what, you know, nobody even knew what happened. Some of the people that don't watch MMA kind of, you know, what really happened? He, he was dominating that whole fight, uh, you know, right. I think start to finish. I would say, you know, if it was an eight-minute fight, you know, he won seven minutes and, you know, 40 seconds of it. So he got caught with that sneaky elbow. He was very pleased with his performance, uh, you know, very happy and uh, as far as performing well, but you, you're never going to be happy with a loss. So we want to get him right back in there and, and get him winning. I think that he, uh, along with Jeff, is, is a guy that's a, you know, contender, a top 10, top 15 guy when performing at the A level. So um, we'll get him back in there and uh, and hopefully get him back on track uh, soon. Uh, I talked to Nick Maynard about it, um, and uh, hopefully something opens up and we can get him right back to work. Well, listen, man, overall it was a pretty solid night for you. Jeff Neal's knockout, Al Hassan's knockout, uh, very impressive. Uh, what's the ceiling for Al Hassan, you think? Zach, uh, Zach probably has more power in his hands, uh, pound for pound, I think, than almost anybody in the UFC. I mean, the guy has 10 knockouts all first round. I think six of them are um, within the first minute. If he touches your chin, it's a problem. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, Nico Price is a very tough puzzle for us to solve. I, I mean, we only had four weeks to prepare for him, and we were trying to get ready in all phases because, you know, the guy's tough everywhere. He's, he's, he, he's decent on the feet. He's a good grappler. He's sneaky. He throws strikes from funny angles. He's durable. Um, but Razak, if, if he touches you and you try to stand in front of him, uh, even for a second and get in a firefight, it's not good. And uh, that was on full display. So anytime a guy has that kind of power, and he's also got good, you know, good jujitsu, and, and we've been working his wrestling. Um, he made the transition to our camp full time, and you know I've been grinding him. And, and you know me, I mean, we grind in there. There's no, uh, there's no fun time. So. I grinded him hard. I think I think he took some of that on on poor Nico. To be quite honest, I mean I rode that dude so hard for the last four weeks. Uh, he was ready to pop. So <laughs> who knows? The sky's the limit for him. Well, no, I I know you are are the fun police in some respects, and you've realized a lot of success doing it. Uh, Safe Saud with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast, sitting down with three of your fighters and hearing them all talk about you, the head coach, the CEO. It, it warms my heart because I know you and I like you, um, but they all kept coming back to that word accountability, right? And Jeff Neal was so happy to tell me that he's only missed two practices in three years. And I think that for when, when that type of coaching approach resonates with a guy um and they put their trust in you special things can happen and uh that's exactly what's happening down there in texas for you guys well i appreciate it you, you know i look at it as a serious responsibility um you know you sit in that chair week in week out you got the world looking at you and your soul is on the line you know you're basically walking in there with boxer shorts and a mouthpiece on and fighting in front of the whole world you know and the scariest thing in the world is for another man to stop you in your tracks and you know, put your face first and you can't get up. I mean, what man wants that? You know, when you lose as a team and football or, uh, you know, I love football, but, you know, one guy has a bad play, sometimes it gets forgotten about. Um, in fighting, there's there's nobody to point to. You know, when you fail, you feel like you fail alone. When you succeed, I feel like you feel like you succeed as a team. But it's definitely very hard um, mentally on an athlete, you know, to have that stress about going in there and competing on that level. So, I feel like I need to prepare them uh, for every challenge. And if they come up short, just like Charles, 
I'm super proud of him. You know, he came up short, but his performance was a good one. And uh, as long as I do my job to prepare the athletes, um, then I feel good about it. And uh, I think that they were all very prepared, and, and and the results spoke for themselves, even off of a loss. If an athlete looks good and he's executing, you've got to be proud of that at that level. So, I know at one point in time you had visions of a long pro career yourself, 1-0 and as a pro, and then injuries intervened. In terms of your coaching career, was was your vision, the long-term vision to do what you're doing now, be the head coach of a team, or has this thing sort of That's a great mushroomed, it's a great mushroomed to, to something so, bigger than you even thought it would? Three and zero as a pro, Johnny. Three and zero as a pro. Oh, dude, terrible! I'm gonna see if my man. I'm gonna see if my producer can but, edit that shit out and post, but I doubt it. I'll, I'll, I'll when I see him, I'll remind him. But uh, <laughs> the, the the reality was, you know, I, you know, Cam did a traditional, had a traditional martial arts background, um, went to college, did political science, went to law school, came back to martial arts. Um, joined Greg Jackson's in 2006 and was there till 2009. And my vision was uh, honestly to go five, six, and zero, fight in the UFC and win, and then and then do what I'm doing now. I've always loved. I think you know, truly, your legacy is how you affect people. Um, some people affect people uh, as an athlete. Some people affect people as a coach. Some people affect people. Um, you know, in different ways. I always saw myself affecting the greatest number of people in the positive way as, as, as being a coach. So for me, that was really my goal. Um, and when I started the team, uh, I did get hurt 3-0, and tore my bicep, tore my ACL. On and on. When I started the team, I absolutely had the vision for it to be the best team in the world. Um, I don't know who starts something and just wants it to be the best in the region or the state. Or the, I don't operate on that mindset, so... Uh, absolutely. It's taken about 10 years. I started the team in 2009. Um, it's taken about 10 years, but anything worth anything takes time. And it's awesome to see it come into fruition. And, uh, you know, we have a long way to go. So, Well, it's incredible what you've built. How many fighters do you have in the UFC relative to, say, two years ago? I know Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series has been a good conduit for your guys, but it's you got to be double digits now, right? We are double digits, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. We put ten people in the UFC, um, wow! In the last you know year and a half, and we we've got we've got a girl, uh, Macy, who's on this season of the Ultimate Fighter, um, who came and joined us before she left. She's fantastic. She's definitely one to watch. Um, you know, I've always had Carlos Diego, uh, so we we do have him still at fifty five. I think I think he's a top ten guy. I think you saw what he did. Uh, to Jared Flash Gordon, and you know he he had a little Usada issue, but he's fighting again in December against McDessie, and I'm excited about him. I think Jeff Neal is 100% a contender. Um, I've got Alonzo Minifield, uh, Ryan Span, and Kennedy at 205. Right. I think they're top uh, top 10 prospects at 205, and you know 205 is a lighter division, so we're excited about the potential there. And we got you know Razak. Uh, we, we got a slew of guys. And, you know, the goal is to get top five, top ten guys and contend for the titles. I mean, that's that's what our goal is, and we want to do it in multiple weight classes. And that's a, you know, that's a lofty goal, uh, as I said this weekend, and we have no illusions of how much work um, that's going to take, and, and that's what we're prepared to do, and, and that's what where our, our vision is. So uh, it's right back to work. Uh, you know, Saturday we even had practice. We had Ryan. We have Ryan Spann fighting in Brazil. So Saturday we had a full oh, full right. practice at eleven o'clock. Um, 
before we even got to the venue. So uh, we're, we're, we're definitely busy. Well, I, I know you're in it right now, and I know you're not looking too far ahead, but it's exciting. It'll be exciting to see how far you guys can take this thing. Uh, are you a Dallas Cowboys fan, by the way, before we let you go? I, I am not a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, I grew up a Washington Redskins fan. Imagine oh, that, living in Dallas, so, Texas. So, so, so that's this a good Monday for you, but <laughs> You saw yesterday, 24-6, to the Redskins Cowboys weren't looking so hot, 16-8 uh, to loss to Carolina, so... Uh, I definitely get slack for that living in Dallas for 10 years. <laughs> Skins look good, man. And so does Fortis MMA. Safe Saud, appreciate the time, man. Congrats on the results this weekend, and we look forward to seeing you uh, in Sao Paulo, if not sooner, bud. Thanks for the time. All right. Talk to you soon, John. Thank you. Safe Saud, Fortis MMA. Really cool to see guys when you meet. You know, I'm with Kenny, I think we were working one of Damon Jackson's fights, you know, a long time ago, you know, six mm-hmm. years ago or so in Brazil and when he was working his way up and, and starting to build a powerhouse down there in Texas. So pretty good stuff there from Safe Saud. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn into an anxious experience when it had been the great one at the outset. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate either way you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Anik. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so Flo, I'm not going to put you on the spot here in terms of UFC 230, right? Joe Rogan hinted on the broadcast that maybe he knew what the main event would be for Madison Square Garden. So keep that information to yourself. See, (laughs) the beauty of not being in anybody's inner circle, right? Like, I'm not in anybody's inner circle, right? I might be the lead play-by-play voice of the UFC, but I don't have any good information for you. So the fight that seems to be that I'm hearing from fans, from insiders, outsiders, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call them, would be something involving John Jones. And I'm just not convinced sitting here on September 10th that that's going to give John Jones enough time to prepare. I think you will see John Jones before 2018 is done. Um, I would not bet on seeing him on November 3rd, you know. Right. Um, I, I mean, it's possible. Listen, I, I think he has been training. Um, he's the kind of guy who is also very much a martial artist. He's always learning. He's always getting better. Post a lot of videos in his garage. But I mean, is he going to get ready for a fight in his garage for – uh, you know, a, a big event in November? Probably not. But I think there's also a lot of other things he's not showing. And I th- I'm sure he is training a lot, getting his sparring in, uh, doing his skill work. And again, that that's what I'm hearing. And uh, perhaps it's John Jones and, and a rematch against uh, a classic, one of the classic fights uh, in his career. Um, you know, that, that, that could be the one. That's the one I'm hearing. And Again, at the end of the day, when you look at John Jones, you can disagree with some of the things he's done. And yes, it's been unfortunate. But I tell you what, that still is the best guy I've ever seen compete inside the octagon. Yeah, no doubt about it. 
Alexander Gustafson, perhaps that would be a fight that would happen. I wonder, too, if John Jones would come back if it wasn't the undisputed UFC light heavyweight right. championship of the world, right? So if it, would they then try to do a fight with DC? DC's not making light heavyweight on November 3rd, no. so that's not going to happen, right? So would they strip Daniel Cormier? You know, they're not going to do John Jones and DC at heavyweight mm. because that would, you know, remove the possibility of the Lesnar fight for DC, right? So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see yeah. how it all plays out. Well, you bring up a good point because that's what they did to Connor, right? So, I mean, if they have a fight at 205 and it's for, you know, they want to not deny someone of, of winning a belt in that division, you know, can DC walk around with two belts? Because I think the excuse that happened was, oh, you can't have two belts at the same time. Do they make that fight between John Jones and possibly Gustafson um, for the belt in Madison Square Garden? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And it would probably be a, a vacate situation, right. right? They would try to force DC to vacate the belt. Yes. Daniel, how much would it how much would it cost us to have you vacate the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship? Yeah. Uh, all right. Good stuff there. We'll see how it plays out. But uh again, November third does not have a main event and it is uh less than eight weeks away at this Oof. point in time. Sitting here right now, maybe if they can financially incentivize Tyron and Colby. My best guess sitting here right now is that the main event at Madison Square Garden is Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington for the UFC Welterweight Championship. And that is pure speculation, not even of the informed variety. All right, let us make some picks. UFC Moscow this weekend. Time for the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, a big week in terms of the UFC 228 selections for Ken Flo. It was 102 to 89 for Team Anik. You went head to head with David Flannery representing my squad. Seven and four week for the Flo. Big win on Tyron Woodley. I hate the fact that on our air he was a favorite. I wish I could give you an extra point. Yeah, that's but, bullshit, uh, dude. You know, uh, <laughs> you had Diego said, "Love how that's what will get you to cuss, right?" Is that if we won't give him an extra point? I'm See, a competitive man, John Anik. Now I'm just fi- now I'm just fighting for respect. Hey, you know? man, this is, we got a long down, fourth kid. quarter. And you know at the end of the year, I tend to extend the picks and make you do 10 or 11 so you have a chance to make up some ground. So you also had Diego Sanchez as an underdog, so you have tightened things a little bit here uh, as we get into this UFC Moscow event. Joining us to make picks today, Anakin Florian podcast listener, Gerardo Lenoris. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Gerardo? Right on the money, Anakin. Gerardo Linares, and that's uh, you just look like a fighter, man. We're excited to have you on, and we appreciate you carving out the time. Let us begin with a heavyweight fight between the ageless Andre Arlovsky and Shamil Abdurahimov. Arlovsky, at least right now, slight underdog, plus 110. Shamil Abdurahimov, minus 140. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC, coming off a win over Chase Sherman. For Arlovsky, UFC appearance number 27. I think there's plenty of fight left in the pit bull. I thought there was some upside in that fight against Tai Tuivasa last time out in Chicago in June. Slight dog here for our purposes, Gerardo. Who do you like, Arlovsky or Shamil Abdurahimov? You know, both guys have a very similar style, forward pressure, good boxing, good fundamentals. Uh, Looking at their last fights, I really like Shamil, uh, his forward pressure and his wrestling. I think that combination and his durability is going to be the key in this match. Um, unfortunately for Andre, I think he, his career is coming towards the end, and uh, I'm, I'm picking Shamil uh, for this fight. I think he's going to grind out a decision and, and get the victory. 
All right, Shamil Abdurrahim, I the pick for Mr. Linares there, Ken Flo. If you talk to Arlovsky, he'll tell you he's going to get up to 35 UFC fights, and he's not even close to the end. Mm-hmm. You know he puts in the time. The question is, will it be enough this weekend against Shamil? Well, listen, I'm going the other way. I'm going with Andre Arlovsky. Um, I've never been so impressed with uh, Abdurrahimov. Um, I think, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, if he gets Arlovsky down on the ground, it could be a problem if he's able to do it consistently. I don't know if his wrestling is good enough to be able to do that uh, throughout 15 minutes. I, I even think Arlovsky has the potential to, to win this fight by finish, but yep. um, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with Arlovsky by decision here. All right, co-main event, light heavyweight division. Cormier's trembling in his boots every time we talk about these light heavyweight contenders. Well, no, I just like messing with the guy. I will say, though, I really like this matchup, and I like these two fighters. Jan Bohovich is a damn good fighter and maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. And Nikita Krylov is a beast. He's mm. returning to the UFC after a couple years away. Pick him fight per Vegas. Minus 115 on both sides. Gerardo, what do you think here? Jan Bohovich and Nikita Krylov, who will it be for you? You know what? Both of these guys have really strong... Uh striking and good good uh, kicking and punching fundamentals. Looking at their movement, I think Nikita Krylov is a little bit smoother on his feet, can mix it up a little bit with the punches and the strikes and his in-and-out movement. So I think that's going to be the key to victory here for Nikita uh, over uh, Sean Boshowitz. All right, a little background on Nikita Krylov before Flo's selection. 26 years old, 25-5. and five. So first UFC fight since what was a loss to Misha Sirkunov, UFC 206, late 2016. But going into that fight, and this is why people were surprised that he found his way outside the UFC, he had won five in a row. All of them finishes, I think earned a bonus or two along the way, and now begins this second UFC stint, having won four straight outside the UFC. All of them finishes, as usual, brutal knockout some of them. I watched the Emmanuel Newton knockout this morning, just a vicious knee that that put Newton into a deep, deep sleep. So Nikita Krylov with momentum. Ken Flo returns here. How do you think it goes for him against uh, the UFC-tested Jan Blahovich? This is a tough one. Uh, Nikita, yeah, has won his last four all by all by finish, which is very impressive. Variety of submissions and knockouts, and uh, but Blahovich is a tough guy to finish. Man, he'll be there. Uh, probably through, throughout the 15 minutes uh, in your face trading. Um, man, this is a tough one. I think Kreloff is the cleaner striker. I think he moves a little bit better. But I think Blahovich is one of those guys who can surprise you with the shot and, and kind of make things a little uglier than, than you want it to be. I need points. I'm going to go with Blahovich. This is a tough one. Blahovich comes in having won three straight. Seven of his last nine wins have been by decision, but I think you set that fight up well, Flo. All right, main event. The lead horse, Mark Hunt. I kind of named my son after this guy. I mean, let's be real. I don't call my son Hunter. I call him Hunto. And that is a tribute to the great Mark Hunt. 44 years of age. He's a goddamn legend. 17th UFC appearance. Former K1 World Grand Prix champion. Only question I have for this fight is, is Alexi Olenek uh, going to do it to him too? Because somehow, yeah. some way, he just does it to you. Uh, Mark Hunt, the favorite here, guys. Minus 235. Uh, and the comeback on Alexi Olenek, plus 185. Gerardo, who wins the main event in Russia, and how will they get it done? Mark, the Super Samoan Hunt, I think uh, this guy has more lives than any cat I've ever heard of. And he, Alexei Olenek, he's a gritty fighter, good wrestler, but I just don't think it's going to be enough for the power that the Super Samoan brings. And it's going to be a round one KO. Uh, round Mark one KO for the king of the walk-off knockout, Mark Hunt. All right, Gerardo Linares, man, appreciate you stepping up today. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening. And, uh, again, if you beat Ken Flo head-to-head, we'll have you back later in the year, bud. Thank you.
Hey, thank you guys. It's been go, a pleasure. Good work. All right. Don't think I forgot to get Ken Flo's main event selection. I just want to give us a little more time to talk about this main event on the back end and talk about Alexei Olenek because when you sit there and watch him, Ezekiel choke someone uh, and do what he did to Junior Albini and then before that, Victor Pesta. Uh, I'm just like, what What am I watching here? You know, it's absolutely incredible. Here's another guy on the wrong side of 40, 41 years old. Mixed martial arts record for Alexei Olenek, okay? How about 56, 11, and 11? What is that? That's got to be a, a misprint. There's no way he has 11 <laughs> draws. So 56 and 11. Oh, so man. by comparison, right? So, all right, 56 and 11, right? By comparison, Mark Hunt, 13 and 12, 13, 12, and 1. Right. So yeah. 56 and 11 versus 13 and 12 in MMA. I don't care who Olenek's fighting. 56 pro MMA wins, 52 finishes, 44 wins by submission, 12 by Ezekiel choke, including that last one against uh, junior baby Albini. I don't know if Olenek has he's got a lot of kids. I don't know if he has a son. And if he does, his name is Ezekiel Olenek. But <laughs> he's got to have a little Zeke running around, I think, here in South Florida. Um <laughs> So for Olenek, Kenny, he fights out of Moscow. He's getting a UFC main event. Like if someone had told Ken Flo five years ago that Olenek was going to headline a UFC show in Moscow, right. you know, <laughs> he wouldn't have to be stoned to laugh you out of the room. And if you know Olenek, you just can't help but feel great for this guy. He's getting a headlining spot in Russia, man, in the first UFC show in Moscow. Pretty cool for Olenek. Um, how do you think it goes for him? Uh, he's a good dude. He's a tough guy. Uh, has hit one of the craziest submissions I've ever seen the UFC. He hit it in Ezekiel from mount, by the way. The guy was mounted. He's in the worst possible position uh, that you could be in in combat sports, and he's finishing you. Like, what? Huh? What are you doing? He, he, he gets up close. He basically hugs your head. He just drops to his back, and he finishes you with the craziest choke, a joke that you typically only see if you have a kimono on. Uh, but uh, yeah, And I hear he is ridiculously strong. That's why they call him the bow constrictor. But he is going against a guy who's very short, compact, hits like an absolute truck. The last thing to say, as that cliche saying goes, is the power in combat sports. Mark Hunt will certainly have that. Um, Olenek scares me every time he goes in for an exchange. He scares me every single time he goes in for a clinch. It looks like he's going to get knocked out, but he finds a way to get the fight to the ground more often than not. And um, he is a dangerous guy. Uh, and Mark Hunt isn't exactly known for his grappling skills. So uh, it... Serious contrast of styles here, but um, I got to agree with uh, with your guy there, Linares. I, I think he probably gets it done and gets it done early by knockout. I'm going with Mark Hunt. All right, Hunto, round one knockout for you too as yes. well. Yes. All right, Ken Flo and our guest picker both on Mark Hunt. All right, we got to bounce on out of here. A couple things, though, on the way out. Uh, our director, Danny Mayock, who's been with us every step of the way here with Fox Sports, it's her birthday, so happy birthday, Danny. 25 years old, so happy I birthday, I wish I Dan. was 25. I didn't I know, know it was did. her birthday. Wow, okay. See, that's that's some show prep there, and that's my man Ben Wasorek just making sure that I have all my, <laughs> my I's dotted and T's crossed. But, Danny, appreciate you very much, and uh, happy birthday. Enjoy and you those. never give her credit, dude. She's sitting here every single show, and oh. you're like, hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks, John. Thanks, Listen Charlie. Thanks, Bill. And, and and she's just sitting there like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, you know, yeah. I, I was afraid to pronounce Mayock wrong. You know, I get nervous around pretty women. I don't know All what right. to tell you, you know. But if you listen to last week's episode, I thank Danny. So I'll just give if you're only as shit. good as your last show, I thank Danny last week. 
and now she's super embarrassed and, and doesn't like us anymore. Um, all right, last thing. So, so I, I just want to say, if you follow Ken Floa on Instagram, you likely saw a recent post in which he dedicated a kimono series, batch number 87, KAF, to the memory of his youngest brother, Kirk Florian, um, who passed away two years ago tomorrow. Um, and I believe you're sold out already. I just wanted to say, though, I know that this week is going to be tough for you. I know the last two years have been tough. Um, but that was just a really nice gesture, a really nice gi. Uh, I'm upset they sold out and that I will not have one here in Boca Raton. But, uh, man, you just know how to do it, man. You're all class. And uh, the back of the neck, I think it said, all I want to do is help people, which yes. I know was sort of sort of the, the thesis statement of his life while he lived it. So well done, my friend, as usual. Thank you so much, man. And I got to give a huge uh, shout out to Show Your Roll, uh, which has been one of the premier uh, or is the premier gi company in the world. And, and they were sponsoring me back when no one knew who they were, when no one knew who I was. Um, they've been supporting me for a very, very long time, and they've established themselves as the elite gi company in the world. And um, they didn't have to do this. They, they ended up, uh, you know, with me coming up with this idea to, to dedicate this gi and um, we ended up raising $15,000 um, wow. and we're going to donate that to charity and on top of that they told me the other day that they're going to match that so we're going to be able to give $30,000 away to charity one of those charity uh, charities is going to be a charity in Boston uh, Bridge Over Troubled Waters it's for homeless and at-risk youth um, and to, to be able to do that and, and donate $30,000 just blew me Man. away and, and to turn something, you know, terrible into something good is, is awesome. And, uh, I want to thank everyone for the support. I mean, we sold out, I think it went on sale in the afternoon and we were sold out, I think by early evening. So, uh, pr pretty wild. And, and thank you everyone to everyone who, who turned up and, and, and purchased a gi. Um, it, it truly means a lot. Powerful stuff, man. Thank That's you. great stuff. See, despite what people say, Ken Flo, actually a really good dude. No. <laughs> Word on the street. No, Every once kidding. in a while. All right, good stuff. All right, thanks to thanks, everybody brother. behind the glass, everybody at Fox Sports, Danny and our crew. I think that's my new sign-off, you know. No more credit for Ben Wasorek. You know, thanks to Danny and the crew behind the glass. Appreciate <laughs> everybody ben. out there who listens to the show on a weekly basis. We appreciate you more than you could possibly know. We will talk to you next Monday. We'll recap Moscow. Look ahead to Sao Paulo in a big main event between Jimmy Manoa and Tiago Mejeta Santos. Look forward to it. Until then, have a great week. Don't text and drive. You'll later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.